Good morning. Hope you are doing fantastic. Listen, we love good stories, don't we? I mean, we love good stories. Good stories are keep us really, really involved. So a lot of you believe that the Hallmark movies have good stories. That is debatable, but I will say that there is a story, and it's one story, and it's used over and over again, right? Amen? You can say it. No judgment. The macho male version of that is the Jason Bourne movies. Okay? We really have one story, and we use it a couple of times. Okay? And we watch it over and over again. As I was trying to relate to everybody in the audience, I realized what is a story that folks are following right now on the younger crowd, and I came up with Stranger Things. I have watched 15 minutes of one episode, and I can tell you this right now, I felt like I was growing up because it's taking place in the 80s. I was like, the phone, the music, man, this is the cars, this is cool. Listen, what we get drawn into is a good story. We have characters, we have the setting, we have the plot, we have the conflict, we have the resolution, we have the good versus evil. I mean, all of that is going on, and it draws us in. And this Advent season, we're going to use one of the greatest true stories that's ever been written, and it's the book of Ruth. And my hope and my prayer is that God would take this beautiful story of redemption, this beautiful story of God's sovereignty, and use that to help us to be ready for the king coming in to Bethlehem. And that's what I hope, and that's what I pray. It's Ruth the Moabite and Boaz the, from Bethlehem, who is her redeemer. Many of you in here, we've learned the story, we know the story. We're gonna take it over the next three weeks. We're gonna cover these four chapters. You can pray for me this coming week. It'll be two chapters and one message and stuff. Okay, so a lot of information. And I pray that what we had covered this, this season is not simply just information, that we simply encounter a sovereign God who is our redeemer, who provided us a redeemer, and his name is Jesus. And so our message series is Ruth, the king is coming. That's what we want to declare. So let's go ahead and let's jump into really the setting of the book of Ruth. This is Ruth chapter one. We'll go through this all together. We'll read a little bit and talk about it. And we've got some lessons that I feel like we'll learn here at the end. Every single message that we will uh, speak in the book of Ruth will also have a Christ connection. In the book, there is a lot of foreshadow of the coming savior. And I really want to make sure that we see that and don't miss that. So We'll go through that together. Here's what it says. This is verses one and two of chapter one in the book of Ruth. In the days when the judges ruled that there was a famine in the land, and a man of Bethlehem and Judah went to sojourn in the city of Moab, he and his wife and two sons, the name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife was Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Malon and Chilion, and the Ephraites from Bethlehem and Judah. Now here's what we have to understand. God made a covenant with this, the country of Israel. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who curse you. I will make your name great among many nations. If we go even further back to Genesis chapter three, verse 15, we know that right among the fall, right in the midst of the fall, God said that he was going to send someone. It's called the Proto-Evangelion. What that means is that Jesus is coming. God makes a covenant in Genesis chapter 12 with the people of Israel. He's gonna take care of them. He's gonna watch over them. And he continues to do that. Then all of a sudden, we come into the book of Judges, which is where the book of Ruth takes place. We can take the book of Ruth, and we can set it inside the book of Judges. Well, what's going on in the book of Judges? 
a lot of things not good. We have what's called the cycle of sin. People were coming in, they came into the promised land. Who led them into the promised land? Joshua led them into the promised land, right? They come into the promised land. They're there, and they start beginning, and they're sinning, and then all of a sudden, God raises up judges to address some things. And here's the cycle of sin. The people rebel against him. God acts in judgment against their sin. They repent, and then all of a sudden, it starts all over again. If you could summarize the time period, you would look at the very last verse in, in the book of Judges. Here's what it says in the book of Judges, the very last verse. In those days, there was no king in Israel, and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. I'm so glad things are different today, right? And so in the book of Judges, you have chapters 17 to 21, and the wheels are literally coming off. And here's God's people. And so we're going in from the time of Judges, and we're getting ready to go into the monarchy where he raises up kings. And then we look at the king who is coming, and that's Jesus. And so I want you to see the flow of how it's going to happen. So now we're in the time of Judges, and the wheels are literally coming off, and everybody is doing what's right in their own eyes. But the sovereign hand of God, what does he do? He brings us and lets us to be aware of this one family that he's going to use and teach us some radical lessons about his sovereignty and his redemption. And he uses this family, Naomi and Ruth, and everything that's going on in there. So the book of Ruth happens right there in the middle. So what's the summary? What's going on right now? Well, we learn from the first two verses that there is a famine in Bethlehem. Bethlehem is defined as the house of bread. Hold on to that. It's the house of bread. And so what's going on is there is a famine in the city. Elimelech looks at his wife and says, we need to go. So we need to go away. I would say that he left too early. But I would also say that we also could testify that sometimes we've gotten ahead of the Lord in our own life. So we can't look at Elimelech and go, oh, you idiot, why did you do that? We've done it ourselves. We've said, oh God, you want me to do this or you want me to do that and we've gone ahead. Elimelech, listen, listen. God is working in your life. He has not stopped and he will not stop. And there are times and seasons where we come where we simply just don't hear him. We don't see him. I'm looking at Elimelech, and I'm seeing, well, he says, you know where I'm going to go? I'm going to pick up, and I'm going to go to Moab. That is not a good place to go. You're in the promised land. You're in the city of Bethlehem, the house of bread. Then you're going over here to Moab. What is Moab known for? Moab traces their origin back to, the, to an incestuous relationship between Lot and his oldest daughter. Place of Moab was known for the ladies to leave Moab and go and seduce the men of Israel. That was the reputation for sexual immorality and bowing down to foreign gods. That's the reputation. And Elimelech says, we don't have any food here. We're starving. There's a famine. Sometimes famine happens. Just, it just happens. And sometimes it happens because of rebellion. This particular famine was because of a rebellion. They leave and go into Moab. And I think that, that should be a warning to each of us to wait on the sovereign hand of the Lord, even when you don't hear him or see him or think or think that he's forgotten you because he hasn't. He is called God for a reason. So we have, going back into Moab, what is the next verse? I, I need you to know that it's not just they were just venturing into Moab. It says in the text 
the next part of verse 2 says, they went into the country of Moab and remained there. So it's not like they just passed through. It's they stopped, they set up shop, they lived there, they remained there. Let us be warned about the danger of remaining in places we should not go. Verse 3, 3, 4, and 5, this is what it says. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, he died. And she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives. The name of the one was Orpah and the name of the other Ruth. They lived there about 10 years. And both Malon and Chilion died so that the woman was left without her sons and her husband. So here is more of a problem. Naomi goes through three funerals. Naomi goes through three funerals. I've done two funerals in the last two weeks. That is gut-wrenching. It was great because both of them knew the Lord, but I'm sitting here right now, and she is got overwhelmed because not only does she lost her husband and lost her sons, when you do that in this culture, you have lost status. Your husband, your name, the name was to go forth. She had no name to go forth because her sons were even gone. So here she is. She's in Moab with two Moabite women that are her daughter-in-laws. And she's saying, what, what do I need to do? Here's a quote. The Moabites are not listed with the Canaanite nations. But since they were the people of Chamash, a foreign god, the spirit of the law would have them included in regarding intermarrying. Not racially, but spiritually. There is a warning. Warning of intermarrying because of the foreign gods and because of a spiritual situation. And so one can imagine the grief of Naomi. That's all that's going on in here. A widow in a foreign land, no significance, no status, no sons, and consequently just standing with no hope trying to carry out the family line, and she's aging. She comes in verse 6. Let's take a look at verse 6 when it says, Then she arose with her daughter-in-laws to return to the country to return from the country of Moab. For she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. Verse seven, so she set out from the place where she was with her two daughter-in-laws and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. I need to stop because this just wrecked me this week. This absolutely wrecked me. Here is a lady that is sitting in Moab with no status, no anything. And all of a sudden, she hears that there's no, there's no more famine in Bethlehem, her home country, her home city. She hears that there's nothing going on. How in the world does she hear that when she has no status, when she's looked down upon? She hears it because of the sovereign hand of God. And I don't want you to miss that. I don't you miss, it's, it's beautiful for her to sit there and say she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited the people, that he showed up to the people, that his grace was evident to the people because he's a good God and he's a gracious God. And she had heard that they were going, I don't know how she heard. I don't know if it was someone who got message. I don't know if it was what, uh, someone came and delivered a message. I don't know if she went back and talked. I don't know how it happened. Here I know this, is that God is completely sovereign and he will, he will get you to hear what he wants you to hear and he'll do everything in his power to make it happen. I'm convinced of that. So it's just the evidence of God's grace. He, she heard him and he visited them and the, the, the famine was listed. I will not underestimate what the Lord will go through for us to hear. Ruth and Orpah, you got to think about them in this situation. Naomi comes up and says, hey, um, 
We're going to go back to Bethlehem. Ruth and Orpah, they're Moabite women. They know the reputation that they have in Bethlehem among the Jewish people. Ruth and Orpah are like, are you kidding me? Got to think about what they were processing at this time. Here's verse 8. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, you go and return to each to your own, to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the, the, the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you, in the house of her husband. And she kissed them and lifted up their voices and wept. So here they are, they're all of a sudden, they're on the way back and, and Naomi just gets overwhelmed and she probably doubts. You know what? This is not good for you, you girls. You know what you should do? You should go back to Moab. Go back to Moab, find a husband. Um, you'll have status, you'll have prosperity, you'll be able to do what you're able to do. Don't, don't go, just go back to your country and go and do that. Because you know what? That, that is what? That's what logically makes more sense is for you to go back over there. I don't know what it was, whether it was a water break or whether it was just a pause and walking back, but here she is and saying, girls, 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 don't, don't go with me. Go back. She shows some pretty tough love. And the, the word in the text says that, um, may the Lord deal kindly with you. It's this Hebrew word called hesed. It means that God's faithful love is what she's praying for them. It's It talks of his loyalty, his faithfulness, his grace, his mercy, and his compassion. And she wishes for Yahweh to be merciful on him. And and, and, and Naomi has this idea, hey, you know what? That's going to take place if you go back into Moab. Don't don't go in the city with me. She believed that God was indeed kind and that she was the power to extend this grace to them. Here's their response, verse 10. And they said to her, now... We will return with you to your people. No, we will, excuse me, no, we will return to you to your people. Bold declaration by the girls. But Naomi said, turn back, my daughters. Why will you, why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters. Go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, even if I should have a husband, this night, and should bear sons, would you therefore wait till they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. And they lifted up their voices and wept again. And Orpah, Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. And she said, see, Your sister has gone back to her people and her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. Naomi is telling them, you've got to go back. You don't understand. In order for you to have status, it would mean that I would have to son because sons are to marry their brother's wives. That was the culture of the time. And I'm not able to provide you. I'm not able to provide you someone like that. I'm too old to do this. And even would you wait for this to take place? Orpah's decision was conventional wisdom, but Ruth's decision required some radical, radical, sovereign, led, and given faith. And she decides, you know what? I'm going to stay with you. It says after her that Ruth clung to her. 
the word clung to her is the same word that is used in Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, when it says a man shall leave his wife and cling, leave her, her, husband, her father, her parents, and cling to, her, to, her, to his wife. It's the issue of, of their, the, the, the union of commitment. It's the commitment to one another that's represented in Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. And then there is what I call the aha moment, or what I would say, Ruth dropping the mic. And so here we come up to verse 16. Come up to verse 16. And this is just, uh, uh, this is unreal. Verse 16, but Ruth said, don't you like those conjunctions? I mean, they're just so beautiful. They just sit there and say, ah, we're changing directions right now. Okay, but Ruth said, do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. Here it is, here it is. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die and there will I be buried. May the Lord do so to me and more also, if anything, but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more. This is one of the clearest conversions in all of the Old Testament. The way the Hebrew is written is verse, the first part of the verse and the bottom part of the verse, they go together. So I'll read those parts that go together. Because it's in the middle when it's written and you understand it in Hebrew, the way it's outlined is the middle of the verse is the main point of the verse. So let's go from the top to the bottom of it. Do not urge me to leave you or return from following you. That's 16a. 17b is the connection to that part. May the Lord do so to me and more also, if anything, put to death parts from you. Now here's 16b and 17a. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Then it says, where you die, I will die, and there will I be buried. And here is the key to this text right here. This is the reason she's doing all of this. It's 16. Your people shall be my people. Here it is. And your God shall be my God. I'm telling you right now, she is making a declaration that I desire to put away Chamash and all of that, all of the, the foreign gods, I desire to follow the God that you serve. I'm going to be committed, I'm going to follow, and I'm going to do just that. It's one of the greatest demonstrations of, one of the greatest demonstrations of conversion in the Old Testament. You know what's funny? There's so much dialogue in here. Ruth doesn't really talk very much. Uh, the picture, the whole picture of the book of Ruth is, is from Naomi's point of view. But verse 18, it says, but when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more. Naomi was quiet. She's like, well, you know what? I'm not changing her mind. That's a pretty bold woman. That Ruth, she's pretty bold. She's pretty set. You know someone like that, don't you? God can use that for great things. And I know he does. It's at this moment that Ruth becomes a follower. Your God shall be my God. And here we come down to verse 19. This 
this again is just so beautiful. Verse 19 says this. So when the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem, and when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the woman said, it's this Naomi? She said to them, do not call me Naomi, call me Mara. Call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me, and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? Naomi comes back into her whole, her home city, and they do not recognize her. One of my favorite places is the Salem Street Pub in downtown Apex. Can I get an amen? Thank you. It's a great place to get a burger. And I was sitting there at a table, and I was eating outside with a friend, Chris Lawrence. I saw some folks that were walking to us. It was a lady and her daughter that I had gone to church with for years. And I waved, and they kind of went like, she went like this. And she got up to the table and she said, oh, I can't believe it. I was walking and my daughter looked at me and she says, there's Matt Rice. And she says, no, it's not. That guy's too old to be Matt Rice. <laughs> I don't know what's worse. She told that to my face. Or... <laughs> so I'm sitting here and they're like, is that Naomi? I'm sitting here and this lady is in my face at the, the Salem Street and I'm like, she's looking at me going, oh, I didn't even know it was you. I didn't think you looked that old. <laughs> she was not recognizable. And they're asking and asking to be confirmed, is that who you are? Naomi comes to them and she says, listen to me right now. You have no idea what God has done in my life. He has dealt bitterly to me. I want you to change my name and call me Mara. Mara means bitter. And here is my point in this. It seems that Naomi is overwhelmed with God, what God has placed before her and even done in her life. And her situation did not try her to trust God. It drove her to bitterness. And my plea and my prayer for you is that it would not do the same for you. That you would not sit there and say, the Almighty has dealt bitterly with me. But in, in return, you would say, he's a good and he's a gracious God, even when I don't understand. Here is a quote for you. Being aware that God is using everything to make me more, like, more Christ-like does not make me less anxious. My struggles in Christ are not God's condemnation. God is always for me. He designs all my circumstances for my everlasting good. Everything in my life can direct me to Christ. And because God governs everything that comes across my path, no experience is ever wasted. It can all be used to turn me to Christ. Because ultimately he works all things for good. My difficult circumstances can cultivate a dependence on Christ. Teach me to pray more fervently. Give me the opportunity for ministry. My successes can lead me to praise and thank God. To give him glory. To see my sin of pride and confess it. To learn humility and taking the low seat. Even in the limelight. Everything can be a stepping stone for holiness. Matthew 5.34 is the Beatitudes, blessed are those and blessed are those. And I want to read you Eugene Peterson's version of uh, Matthew 5, verse 34. You're blessed when you're at the end of your rope. With less of you, there is more of God in his rule. You're blessed when you feel you've lost what is most dear to you. Only then can you be embraced by the one most dear to you. 
blessed by the end of your rope. Blessed when you've lost what's most dear. In the eyes of the world, this sounds insane. It's the opposite of the world's definition of blessed. To the world, being blessed is having everything you want and more. It is having your dreams come true. It is not being at the end of your rope and, and not losing everything that is dear. But in God's economy, being blessed takes on a new meaning. We are blessed when we have no human resources, when we have nothing of our own to turn to, no human to rely on, when nothing seems to be going well. It is then when God and his rule increases in our life. Naomi is sitting here and gives you and I a demonstration and a situation. There is a circumstance that is going on that's taking place. God, she's lost three people. She's going back into a city. She has no status and she is bitter. And I want to let you know something. There are people that you and I in this church right now that are choosing not to be a Mara, but are being a Naomi, where the word means pleasant. Naomi means pleasant and Mara means bitter. And there are people that we do life with on a regular basis, ladies in this church that are sitting there and saying, no, no, God, I'm not believing that you, I'm not going to be bitter because that is not who you are. Everything is used to refine me. And listen, here's what I want to do. I want to call their name out right now. I want to give you and, and, and let you see that God in the midst of us doing life together, that God is raising up some people in our church, some ladies in our church that have said, no, don't call me Mara. I am not bitter for the almighty is good. He is faithful and he is gracious and I'm gonna pursue him and I'm gonna serve him and I'm gonna love him. And those ladies that come to my mind right now are Cynthia Kulak. I sat in my house, a guy was fixing my internet and he's looking at me, he's like, man, I just gotta tell you something. I don't know how in the world they do it. That was this week. I don't know how they do it. Those that are guests, their son took his life almost two years ago. And Cynthia You've been around her, I've been around her. None of us are perfect, but we're sitting here saying, no, don't call me Mara, call me Naomi. Pleasant, I trust God, I believe God. Another one that comes to my mind is C.V. Detweiler. I lost her son, single mom, raising two kids and doing an amazing job and saying, don't call me Mara. I believe in the Almighty is taking care of me. He is, he will, and he will continue. I have looked at and seen and talked to Christine Liu, taking care of family and going through cancer. And the one that comes to my mind too this week is Lauren Howard. That is sitting there and talking to that woman. I trust you, God. I believe in you. It's evident. You can see it. I've seen people go through tough situations. Lauren Hyatt, Ashley Evans, and then my sweet wife. All three with the death of their mom and, their own, and Dana's own sickness. Don't call me Mara. For he has been good and he has held me up and he is sufficient. He is the almighty and I trust in him. And my prayer for us as we look at this Advent season that we would recognize that the God who came into that manger to reconcile us unto himself would be the one that we say he's good and he's gracious. And my situations and my circumstance will not let me believe otherwise. We come down to verse 22, closing this down. 
Verse 22 says this. So Naomi returned and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law with her, who returned from the country of Moab. And they came to Bethlehem. What is Bethlehem? House of bread. And they came to Bethlehem, the house of bread, at the beginning of the barley harvest. Here's what took place. We have a mother-in-law and we have a daughter-in-law. And they are running back into Bethlehem. And they're going in there because they have an incredible need. They're going into Bethlehem, which is called the house of bread. And if you fast forward several hundred years later, we know that there were shepherds and wise men that were running into the city of Bethlehem because there was a a king that was being born in the form of a baby. We call him Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, Wonderful Counselor, Almighty God. And when he grew up, here's what he called himself. In John 6, 35, he said, I am the bread of life. Please don't miss it. Ruth and Naomi are rushing back into the Bethlehem because they have such an incredible need. We come to the manger this year because we have such an incredible need. And we know that he was born a baby. We know that at 33 years later, he rose up and he says, I am the bread of life. If you were hungry, you come to me and you shall eat and you will never be hungry again. And there is a feast that he provides that is like no other. This Advent season allows you and I to recognize the king is coming and Ruth helps us to remember just that. So as she comes into Bethlehem and we get to see the rest of the story over the next couple of weeks, let us not forget the declaration of Jesus himself which he said, I'm the bread of life and I've come to give you life. I've got four lessons that I just wanna give you as we close our time together really quick. Number one, don't rush things, wait on the Lord. Learned from Elimelech. He's in there and there's famine going on. There's a promise that has been given to the people of Israel. There's a promise. And what he says is, you know, I don't believe your promise. I'm going to take things in my own hand and I'm going to leave. Listen to me right now. Listen, listen. Only go if God clearly says for you to go. But do not go if there's any question. Wait on him. Trust him. Learn from Elimelech and his mistake. Number two, Ruth is a Moabite and she comes to faith in Christ. She comes to faith in God Almighty. Your God shall be my God. Listen, listen, let's live on mission for the glory of God and let's let God use us because that's what he wants. Let's pray that there would be a day in our church where our neighbors and our coworkers would know, would know about King Jesus. They would know about him because of our influence and how he has raised us up and sovereignly put us there. Ruth is a Moabite and she comes to faith in Christ, comes to faith in God, and all of a sudden we see the line of Christ comes through her. Number three, don't be bitter, trust him. That's easier said than done. Surround ourselves with people that will help us be reminded of how good and faithful that he truly is and that there is no one like him. Don't be bitter, trust him. And number four, Jesus, the bread of life, is the coming king. He satisfies all needs in every way, shape, and form. So as we come to Bethlehem, as Ruth and Naomi did, may we not miss this Christmas. May we not miss the coming king because there is no one like him. I love you guys. Let's pray. Lord, I love you. I thank you for who you are. I thank you for the privilege of being able to teach this morning and, and, and looking at Ruth chapter one. 
I thank you for the honor that you have given me to do such thing. I pray that you would bless our time today. I pray that you would use these songs as we sing them to you. They are for you. They they, They are our response to you as the Almighty. We recognize, God, that there is no one like you. We recognize, God, that there is a great, great story that you used. In the midst of judges, when everything was going awry, this family right here is how you sovereignly used to teach us that nothing can get in the way of your plan. Let us be encouraged by that. Let us be passionate about that. Let us be bold about that. Let us never forget it. We love you. We thank you. We pray that you would, these songs would be just a sweet, sweet sound to your ears. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.